This is the Janet Killeen Books Podcast. I'm reading from my collection of short stories, There is a Season. This story is called Convergence. They lived so near the corner shop. Push open the door, say hello to the young Asian man behind the till and smile at his quiet wife, stacking the yogurts behind the plastic strips that guarded the refrigerator. Enter a bright treasury of foods and scents and miscellaneous household items, light bulbs and chapati flour, okra and ghee, toilet rolls, tin tomatoes and spices, all jostled and crammed onto shelves so that you could enter without a list and emerge clutching a mixture of foods that stirred the desire to inhale, to cook, to travel an elusive, exotic journey. To him, brought up on the traditional diet of his home, it was an adventure to wander the crammed aisles and then take home his discoveries. His girlfriend would smile with affection for his ingenuousness, and together they would reach for the wok and the frying pan and the chopping board and knives and taste this new wonder. So it would be easy at the end of that day to pick up the items they had forgotten in the supermarket. He rummaged in his pockets for the list as he left the underground at Tooting Broadway, squeezing through the barrier. Of course it was lost, but he thought he could remember. Six things, surely. But he knew, even as he paid at the till, that something was forgotten. A tin of something. Eggs? It was no use. He picked up his bag and left the gleaming shop, plunging into a street darkening with rain. He ran, choosing his moment to cross the road, and opened the door to their flat. It was then, just as he called out, I'm home, that he remembered. Coconut milk. Essential for tonight's meal. I won't be a minute, he shouted, dropping the bag and his briefcase, and pushed out into the rain, aware now that he was damp and cold. It took longer to cross the road. The traffic had thickened, and the street lamps, orange and ineffectual, confused his sight. He was aware, as he entered the shop, of a strange stillness. Two young men, hooded. The grey glint of a knife held at Mrs. Rachman's throat. The terror in her husband's eyes, his hand shaking, reaching helplessly towards her. Even as Daniel's momentum carried him into the shop, he saw and felt all of this. He called out, Hey, no, no! A stranger's voice, inadequate, futile, he thought even as the knife flickered and jabbed at him and caught him in the chest. Then, as time began to run down, he saw what seemed to be a sequence of stiff and clumsy movements. The knife scraped his rib as it was pulled out, and blood spewed with it, bright as holly berries in the dazzle of the light. The taller of the boys sprang back, the knife in his hand, his cuff stained. As though his movement jerked others into action, Mr. Rachman came forward, 
his face stiff and grey with shock. Oh, no, no, he echoed. His wife moved, and as she did so, the taller boy lunged again, striking her hard across the face, so that she fell against the shelves and tumbled in a heap of tins and bottles onto the floor. Daniel, too, was slowly collapsing. His hands clutched the wound. His feet no longer held any sensation of the floor's stability. But he felt that his head now rested on her breast and that beneath her garments swelled her pregnancy. Before the darkness gathered him, she took his head and held it to her gently, so that he knew at that moment of horror a great tenderness. Still seeing, still hearing, he heard one of the boys say, Get out! Get out! Lee, get out! And he turned his head, starkly, as though his retinas would always hold the imprint he saw the smaller, younger boy, observed the trembling mouth, the pinched face, the pallor of the skin, the staring eyes. He fell into unconsciousness. He identified the look in his eyes. Beyond even terror, it was shame. Then a shout, and they were gone. Fragments only a jolting run down a long corridor, gasping breaths, doors that sliced apart, and hands on his body lifting him, voices, unknown hands, efficient, intimate, touching him, and he glimpsed bags of blood and fluid hanging crookedly above him. Festooned, he thought, wryly, but the word was gone before his lips could frame it. Daniel! Daniel called him back, and he knew her voice and the scent of her hair and the touch of her face against his. Other voices, somewhere near. I must see him, sister, as soon as he regains consciousness. I must have a statement. Authoritative. I know that, Inspector, but he is very ill. The wound itself, now infection, has set in. He is rarely conscious and mustn't be put under strain. Calm. Steady. Equally matched, his mind said, before he slipped back into a wandering place, half dream, half struggling wakefulness. He was aware most of all of light, a purplish fluorescence that recalled him to the activity around his body, the tests and checks, lifting and easing, helping him to relieve himself, to sip drinks, to cough. At other times, a different, deeper light of great calmness in which he saw repeatedly three figures converging. As they drew near to him, he saw himself, the boy, Mrs. Rahman, each approaching, each inescapably meeting in that split-second encounter, on what extraordinary trajectories have we been travelling towards this meeting, he asked himself again and again, and for what purpose? He felt the intense memory of nerve and bone. The knife twisted, the gentle hands of Mrs. Rahman held his head, and he saw again the boy's expression, seared with shame and shock. As time moved on, he struggled upwards and began to speak though words were thick and clotted between his tongue and palate. How long, he asked, 
You were admitted six days ago, said a voice he recognised, and the hands too were familiar to him, though he did not know her name. You have been very ill, but I think you are mending now. When you are strong enough, the police need to speak to you. Other memories came to him when he next awoke, Tanya holding his hand and saying with tender rage, Why, why did you do it, Daniel? Mr. and Mrs. Rahman standing gravely at the foot of his bed. His clumsy words through dry lips. The baby is all well with the baby. They had nodded, smiling, sharing their delight with him. He lay for some time, relishing the stillness, feeling the cool sheets, and now realising the thrashing pain and sweat of past days and nights. Then the inspector and his subordinate with the notebook. I'm sorry to intrude, Mr. Belford. I'm sure you realise how essential your statement is to us. That clipped authoritative voice. Yes, I realise, Inspector. His own voice new to him, as though he had travelled a long way from himself and returned a stranger. Tell us what you can remember. He struggled through the description. The vivid memory of the voice, Get out, Lee! The pale, sharp features of the younger boy returned to him. We have some video footage that we would like you to see. Do you think you could identify either of them? The younger, perhaps, he looked ashamed. He sensed the imperceptible shrug of the inspector. He was no more than fourteen. What will happen to him? He and his brother are well known to us, Mr. Belford. Violence is a new step, but they have been involved in theft and criminal damage many times before. Could I see him somehow, the younger one, after the trial? That would be most unusual. Don't imagine that you can work a change in him. The voice remained clipped and level, but the inspector shifted his eyes away from Daniel's face. Goodbye, Mr. Belford. We'll be in touch to complete your statement and ask you to identify these boys. I wish you a rapid recovery. That hard-edged interview remained with him for the rest of his day, and he was exhausted. Then he lapsed again, feverishly running in the corridors of his mind, and watching the figures moving inevitably together. As the light clarified, he saw the extraordinary trajectories of their journeys. Mrs. Rahman, betrothed in girlhood, to travel from village to violence in this city of strangers. Himself, stepping across a street, but long before that, choosing to leave the familiarities of a small northern town to work in London. The boy, padding a territory no more than a mile in circumference, but already familiar with all the corners of its secret darkness. A strange, Convergence. When he next awoke, it was with clarity. He must be salvageable, he thought, remembering vividly the shame and horror of the boy's eyes. What other meaning can I make of this? You have been listening to Convergence from the book There is a Season. Read by the author, Janet Killeen. 
and produced by Duncan PB. For more stories, please subscribe on iTunes or from wherever you get your podcasts.